Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek for Friday, August 7th. We are welcomed today on the show by NFL Network reporter Steve Weish. Steve, first of all, we talked to you at the beginning of this quarantine process, and ever since then, you've been in and out of some team facilities, most recently, I believe, the Rams. Um, and I remember hearing your report and talking about the Rams having a tent outside and where they were going to have team meetings. And my immediate thought was, oh, we could do that in New Orleans. And then that was immediately followed with, no, the rain and the heat and everything would never let that happen in New Orleans. So can you kind of talk about what you saw inside the Rams facility? Yeah, I've only been to one facility, and that, that is the Rams. They invited me to come do this. But they put up their, their vice president of sports medicine and performance, Reggie Scott. They call it a Cirque du Soleil tent. It is a massive tent that covers about two-thirds of their parking lot. It's it, Seriously, it is the equivalent to a small college gymnasium. I mean, if you put rafters in there, it could probably seat 3,500 people around a basketball court. But it probably is only doable in a place like California where it's between 75 and 82, 83 degrees during the daytime. Very little wind, doesn't rain this time of year. So what they're going to do in that tent is they're going to have team meetings where you can put, you know, the linebackers here, the quarterbacks here, special teams here, all over the place. They've got all the space. Then they can clear the chairs out and do a walkthrough under this tent. So, you know, you've got the ability to space players out in their individual meetings. You've got the airflow, which a lot of health officials say helps cut down on the potential spread of the virus. And then they can do their walkthroughs in there, too. So it's a real convenient setup. The thing that's different about the Rams facility compared to just about everyone else, everyone else in the NFL, including yours, is it's a temporary setup. So their business offices are separate. Whereas you guys have all the people in the building, you know, all under one roof. Theirs is simply football, coaches, staffers, and players. So it's a smaller facility. They've got fewer people to deal with, fewer space to have to contend with. So establishing some of the protocols and precautions they were able to do are probably a little bit next level compared to some other teams because, again, it's, it's a smaller space and they've got that California weather to help them with that outside tent. You know, folks always have to say that Steve's a friend of the program. You know, he's he's on here routinely because, you know, one, we like him, and two, he gets great information. And three, we're going to be sad to not see him in New Orleans as much this year because he pretty much could get a homestead exemption. He's here so much. Yeah, I, 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 should, I should pay taxes there, bro. <laughs> but, but, Steve, you know, you, you talk to teams around the league. How are they handling this? How are they ramping up? Because everyone, you know, is kind of taking a different approach, and obviously it's unprecedented for everyone. Well, they're taking a similar yet different approach, right? Because different markets um, are handling it differently. You talked about the weather down in New Orleans. Um, our weather teams are practicing indoors. You know, a lot of the Saints are practice some outside, but some indoors. Same with a lot of other places. But they do have a standard baseline of protocols that they have to follow. We've seen in some places like Dallas, they're putting plexiglass in between the lockers, in between potential close contact. When I went to the Rams, they didn't have to do that because they took the media room and turned that into an auxiliary locker room for 30 lockers for when they go to the 80-man roster. So they were able to put so much space in between lockers and their regular lockers, they wouldn't have to do that. So the key thing, and this is the common thread you'll hear in New Orleans, you'll hear in Buffalo, you'll hear with the Jets, you'll hear with the, the 49ers, whatever, is behavioral education, right? So you're having players coming from 
markets, let's say in the Southeast, and then you're having players come from the Midwest to their particular teams. Well, it's been different information in each of those markets, which all of these young players have heard, right? So now they've got to come in and say, no matter what you've heard, here's how things are going in our building. This is what you have to do to get in. And this is what you have to do to stay here. Otherwise we're going to have to park your butt outside the facility. And so they're, they're hoping to educate the people, the players, the coaches, the staffers on everything they're trying to do and to make that behavior second nature. So they don't have to remind somebody, Hey, Hey, you've got your own individual water bottle. Don't go to some type of communal water dispenser to do this. So, so that's the process. And I think that's why it's good. They've got this two, two and a half week run up before they actually get on the field so they can learn these behaviors and become second nature before they, they kind of go ahead into the real heavy duty football stuff. JD, has this hampered, oh, I'm sorry. Has this hampered your information gathering process? Because, you know, yeah, you can do it over the phone. Yeah, you can do a Zoom. But you're a guy who's accustomed to traveling uh, to destinations and speaking with coaches and players. So has this kind of thrown a, a little bit of a wrench into that for you? 100%. I mean, you guys know this. Training camp is where, you know, you, you foster and develop relationships. This is where, you know, you get a chance to chat with those assistant coaches who are going to be up for head coaching jobs after the season. This is a chance where you get an opportunity to indoctrinate yourself into the rookies um, who you haven't got to meet before. You know, those third, fourth, fifth round draft picks, you know, we get to talk to the undrafted kick returner who may make the roster when you're there in person. He's grateful to talk to you because he, he's the guy at the bottom of the roster. So, and then you rekindle these, you know, certain relationships that you've had. Coaches have changed ball clubs. Um, th there's all kinds of things where that in-person relationship is important. Now, when Drew Brees gets on a Zoom, he's seeing 60 people there. So there's no interpersonal connection. He's just answering questions. There's no conversation or dialogue. So it absolutely is going to hinder our relationship building um, throughout the season, no matter what happens, just because you know, besides your standard interview that everyone else is going to get, we've got to go to agents or we've got to go to our sources with teams, whatever, to get that additional information that will kind of separate our, our, our reporting from somebody else's. J.D., you might know a little bit more than this than I do, but I know, Steve, along your point of clearing out certain areas for meeting rooms, the New Orleans Saints just talked about it this week, that they've cleared out their entire lower level of ticket sales. So now – all of the cubicle walls have been taken down. Everyone in ticket sales is completely moved out of that space. And that is being converted into a team meeting space as opposed to having a tent outside. And also we heard earlier this week about the Saints renting that hotel. Um, so JD, Steve, what are your thoughts on that concept of trying to create as much of a bubble as possible like the NBA, which we've seen has succeeded and WNBA? Yeah, I, I think it's really wise. Um, to try to do that. Now, it, it's different from team to team. And, and John can tell you this from covering sports for years. You have your mature teams, and then you've got teams that don't have certain leadership or a bunch of young guys that are going to need, you know, certain. Now, I, I consider the Saints to be a very mature culture and locker room. But I do think Sean Payton, having gone through contracting the coronavirus, has a different perspective on things, on how easily this can spread and how easily you can catch it. So like he said this week, we can have our hotel. We can have everybody there. We can make sure everybody's, you know, locked down, so to speak. But there's still going to be the potential to catch this stuff just because it's such a contagious virus. Um, but, you know, to get to your other point, 
Caroline, about, you know, the team clearing out the ticket sales office. I've spoken to a lot of teams and marketing folks and ticket folks and, and people like that who can do their jobs from home. They're not bringing them back into the building. They're, they're trying to reduce the number of people in the concentrated areas, again, to limit the potential spread of this virus. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think Steve hit the nail on the head. It depends on the maturity of the team. Um, the Saints, what they're doing by clear, clearing out is they're clearing space so they can space out, uh, have those meetings in those places where you might you can get fewer people in there or you can space them out a little bit better. Um, but yeah, it depends a lot on the maturity of the players as to what happens you know, at those hotels and at those sequestered places, because these aren't, these aren't mandatory, you know, reporting, wink, wink. <laughs> these are supposed to be voluntary or, or you know, you, you go in as, as, you, as you see fit. It depends a lot on the maturity of the team, because if you got veteran players, uh, they are looking at those younger players, especially the younger players that they're depending on and saying, look, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. You're going to have to curb some of the things that you do socially uh, in order to make this the best possible situation that we can to help this team be the best that it can be. Uh, you can't have, and I, I won't throw a name out there, but you can't have a 23-year-old who likes to go clubbing and, and, and you know, the 35-year-old you know, veteran guy who's looking for a championship, he's going to be looking at that 23-year-old saying, get your butt in here at, in the hotel, get in at a reasonable hour. We got food for you. We got everything you need, but we don't need you out there putting yourself at unnecessary risk. And more than that, putting the rest of your teammates at an unnecessary risk. So it's, it's going to depend on a lot on the leadership. The Saints have that kind of leadership. But again, if it's not mandatory, you know that somebody's going to skirt the rules. Yep. And here, here's, here, real quick, Carolyn, here's, here's an interesting scenario um, that I had a high-ranking team official tell me. He's like, suppose the season starts and a team opens up two and seven, right? They fire the coach. How many guys are going to adhere to that discipline then? Oh, yeah. You know, what's what's going to happen then where they're like, oh, we got a new coach. I'm not going to be here next year. I'm going to go out and kick it. And if I infect our team, so what? We're two and seven. We're not going to the playoffs. Yeah. And that's where things could get real tricky. And you're talking about the human nature and the, and the mature locker room and mature culture. That's where things could really get tested. Well, J.D., like you said, not only infecting teammates, but teammates who have kids and families and like that could spread like wildfire. So do you think uh, we've heard, you know, snitches get stitches and all this stuff. But do you think that M that NFL hotline gets utilized? Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if I'm look, if I'm in New Orleans, I'm, I might call in a false report on somebody <laughs> just to see if I can find you know, if I'm playing, if I'm playing, if I'm playing Carolina next week, I'm gonna say I saw Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> you know, Yo, I got video of Tom Brady getting chicken wings in, in Atlanta at Magic City. Exactly, I saw Christian McCaffrey at Magic City. So, <laughs> well, I'm gonna, I'm sure it's gonna be used. Hopefully, it'll be used properly. But you know, it's gonna be used, and you know, it's gonna be misused at some point in time because, like as Steve just mentioned, that's human nature. Somebody's gonna do something they're, they're not supposed to. No, you talk, you talk about the hotline. You know how many times players will call the NFL PA and say, hey, this coach took us 15 minutes after the limited amount yeah. of hours on practice. Oh, we were hitting here today, and we weren't supposed to be hit. It happens all the time. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, I was listening to Tom Brady on Get Up this morning talking about, you know, he hasn't he hasn't attacked that mental part of his game in a while and when addressing the playbook and things like that. How much of an advantage do you feel like 
Sean Payton and Drew Brees and this team has because of their little turnover and because they've had that chemistry for years and years, whereas Tom Brady and Bruce Arians haven't had that chemistry. A ton, ton. Look, the Saints have been through just about every scenario you can go through now, especially, you know, since Sean and Drew have been together for so long. When you go back all the way to Katrina to the, the last three playoff shortfalls, right? And almost everyone on this roster is the same. So the amount of expected accountability, I put the Saints in like the Patriots range, right? So you come to this team now, the player accountability is, is established, right? If Teron Armstead or Cam Jordan or Drew Brees or whomever says, this is how we do things here, you fall in line. I mean, that's why Pittsburgh was able to win for years. I've heard stories like guys who join their secondary and they say, first day, Troy Polamalu, you know, all these – Ike Hilliard, all these guys come up to you and say, look, we hit differently than other teams. So if you're going to come up here and, and, and you think you're going to pity pat halfway – half speed through practice, it's going to be a terrible existence for you and you won't be here for long. So that message, I think, for the Saints and that continuity that they have is, is going to give them a, a huge, huge advantage. Now, again, it's a 16-game season. Everybody gets used to everything. But with this possibly being Drew Brees' final season in the NFL – I think there's going to be a whole different sense of urgency in New Orleans. Not like there wasn't before, but they know what they did last year when they fell short in the playoffs. They didn't come ready to play Minnesota. That's not going to happen again. Yeah, I think the Saints are uniquely positioned to start fast. Uh, they've only got two guys on offense to really acclimate. Uh, one is Emmanuel Sanders, a veteran who Drew Brees has already been working out with, by the way. So, you know, you can acclimate him quickly. It's probably just verbiage for him. The other guy is Cesar Ruiz who's going to have to acclimate either at right guard or at center. If he's got to go at center, that's a little bit different than having to go at right guard. Yeah. I think, you know, for his rookie season, it would seem to make more sense for him to be at right guard, but we just don't know how that's going to shake out. But they're the really the only two guys on offense that have to acclimate, and pretty much everybody is back on defense. You add in Malcolm Jenkins, again, another veteran guy who has seen everything. So they won't be able to throw anything at him that he won't understand, and he'll be able to position guys as they probably hadn't been able to position guys in that secondary uh, for the last four or five years. You get that kind of veteran presence. So the Saints should theoretically be, be ready to hit the ground running. Well, you talk about hit the ground running. No mini camp, no rookie mini camp, no preseason games. That week one is basically your first opportunity. So how many weeks do you anticipate? Do you anticipate week one, things look absolutely miserable and it's going to take until week five? Do you think because everyone's on a level playing field of figuring this thing out and no one's really had access to OTA's minicamp, that week one, everyone is going to kind of be on a level playing field of, of readiness? You know, it, it's typically like that, Caroline. I mean, you, you look back seriously over the last three or four years, I can't think of a starting quarterback that's maybe taken more than eight preseason snaps. I mean, you know, very few teams play their starters at all anymore in the preseason. You know, it used to be that third preseason game, you'd play them a half. They might play a quarter, which could be two series, uh, depending on each side of the ball. So I, I think it's going to be typical. I think it's going to be, you know, a little sloppy like it typically is. You're going to have the officials throwing a lot of penalties because that's typically what they do the first couple of weeks. And then by week three or four, everything is really going to level out. I think that one of the biggest changes people are going to adapt to is if there's few or any fans in the stands, because now players, it's going to be like a practice. You're hearing all the calls. You guys have been to a practice. 
you know, if a quarterback all of a sudden hits, you know, uh, a 180 north, okay, so that's telling the defender, okay, he's flipping a play to the other side of the field. The strength of this is, is showing me that. Not everyone's going to hear that. But then the quarterback's going to hear the defensive calls a lot easier, too, than maybe he could. So that's going to be, I think, the, 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 the first real test for some of these players is playing in these cavernous stadiums where you can hear everything that's going on and it's all going to be, for the most part, ambient noise. Yeah, I think it's going to be a little sloppy, too. It probably will look a lot like a college football season, the way they look early in the season before they kind of you know, get into their grooves. Uh, it, and Steve mentioned it, it will be unique <laughs> to hear as much as we'll get a chance to hear because you're not accustomed to doing that. And, and it'll make a difference uh, in what happens out there on the field. But I think um, definitely, definitely, you know, It'll, it'll be a little bit sloppier, but again, I think the veteran teams will be the ones that acclimate the, the quickest, you know, Kansas City, uh, the Saints, you know, teams that have been together and probably need a little less preparation. Not that they don't need any preparation, but need a little less preparation than the others. Steve, how many uh, Zoom calls are you averaging per day now? I would say, I would say about, about three to four, um, that are just now like interview related, but then like another two or three that are company related, you know, maybe, you know, maybe another one for some of the outside things I do. So it's, it's an awful lot. And I, every day I'm just like, why didn't I know about zoom about a year ago? So I could have bought some stock money. <laughs> I think Andre Iguodala, isn't Andre Iguodala one of the original investors in this? I don't know, but it sounds like something he would do. I mean, whoever, whoever got in on the ground floor is just, oh my. God, thinking rich by now. That's something I've definitely been thinking about, not to get too off subject here, but as we wrap things up, is the the secret brands that are winning off of this. And not that Zoom is a secret brand, but like you think about the sign companies who are making like all these pick up and carry out available and like all of the signs around everywhere. Like it's interesting to see which businesses are really thriving during this time instead of failing. Yeah, I mean, look, a, a very good friend of mine, um, she has a, it was a, a woman's clothing line, and, you know, and she would sell stuff to Nordstrom to whatever. The fact that she adjusted to making masks immediately, mm-hmm. she, her orders, I mean, her whole line of thinking changed and they knocked it out of the park. So yes, a whole lot of other things. And of course, and there's always like the delivery services and Amazon, um, you know, the whole time we're kind of like, we're such consumers right now. Yes. <laughs> For very specific things, though, because at the beginning of this, I had Rent the Runway. It was a gift from my brother. And at the beginning of this, I like called and I had to cancel. And they were like, oh, why would you like to cancel? And I was like, I'm not going anywhere. There's no need for me to get these fancy outfits if I'm not going anywhere. Uh, but yes, Amazon, everything, all these shipments, bring them on my way. Okay. So on that, what has been your go-to repeat delivery item Ooh, um i've gotten like a lot of like weird snacks that i can't get at the stores here like hev snacks and things like that um and so yeah i would i would have to say different snacks would, would be my number one jd you're look jd always looks at me like he's ready for no, me to i'm because you know i don't i don't do a whole lot of ordering now if you were to ask my wife and i mean maybe i should lower my voice because she's around i don't want to but you know, we've had more curtains come in this house yes. than you can shake a stick at. And like, they come in and they go out and they come in and they go out. 
and it's like it'll hang on the wall for a couple of days and then it's gone and then it's like okay well what was wrong with that one well i just didn't quite like that one. so I've, I've seen a lot of curtains up in here yes the hg hgtv merch <laughs> absolutely nope. can't relate over here well guys thanks so much for joining me on the show today i appreciate y'all all right, wonderful inside perspective and information from NFL Network's Steve Weish. Make sure you follow him on social media. A great follow, of course. That is S-T-E-V-E-W-Y-C-H-E. Also, while you're on your phone, go to NewOrleansSaints.com and make sure you have that Saints app downloaded. We have an inside look for you at the Saints Media Day 2020. Obviously, it couldn't be that big blown out thing that it usually is, um, but we have, we have great pictures for you available online right now. Also, we have a great inside look at Meet the Jordans. It is Cam and Nikki Jordan uh, introducing their family in a cute little video um, that you don't want to miss. All right, that'll do it for me on today's New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. I appreciate JD and Steve for joining me on the show this week. Of course, we'll have more information as more accessibility and things start to ramp up as we approach uh, Saints training camp, even though Sean Payton doesn't want to call it Saints training camp. Whatever Saints, uh, Saints gathering that we're having towards the beginning of July. So we'll get things ramped up next week, um, and we appreciate you listening. Have a great day, everyone.